Hi, my name's Paul Grogan, and welcome to episode 37 of the Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is the audio version of the Games of the Month video log that went live in January 2023. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for funding the channel, and if you want to support me and help me carry on making more content, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Just one word of warning, this podcast is very long. It covers a six or seven week period, and yeah, you might want to break it into chunks. Anyway, let's crack on with the show. In this video, I'm going to be talking about all of the games that I've been playing since the last video log, uh, an update on what's been happening with the channel, plans for the future, Patreon update, and all of the usual stuff. Now, a couple of things before we start. The first thing is you will notice that I am not sat downstairs in my nice big comfy chair in the front room. Uh, I've run out of time this week, and unfortunately moving everything downstairs to set everything up to record the video logs takes about an extra hour and a half to two hours, and I just simply don't have time for that today. So apologies, but we're using the green screen background, and I might change the background picture uh, for various images along the way. Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing is, obviously, this video log is a lot later than normal. I like to do my video logs normally around the first week of the month, um, but because I've been ill for the last couple of weeks, a lot of things have got knocked out. I've, the nature of my job is that I can't just stop working and somebody else will do it. So I've there's a number of things that I've had to do in order to keep things going, uh, but some things have had to slip, and a lot of personal stuff has had to slip, uh, and the video log has slipped as well. So here we are. We've got it out of the way now. But what this means is this is going to be a bumper video log because this is going to cover the period from the 6th of December right through to the 18th of January. So yeah, the last video log was done around the 6th of December and this is a six-week period. And I've played a lot of games in this six-week period. So I'm going to be talking about all of the games that I've played either live in person with other people, some of which were streamed, most of which were streamed, some of which were not. Uh, and then at the end, I'm going to talk about all of the games that I've been playing on Board Game Arena and on the iPad and, and things like that. So I'm going to split it up like that. So first up on the list to talk about is December the 9th, I played Heat. Now, this was so long ago, I can't even remember playing Heat on the 9th of December, but apparently I did. Um, now, according to my list, I've actually played Heat three times in the last six weeks. So I'm going to talk a bit about it, a bit, a bit about it now. I think Heat is fantastic. So Heat is full name is Heat Pedal to the Metal. It's the new game from Days of Wonder. Days of Wonder only ever do one game a year. Uh, and it's pretty much a great production, family weight game that comes out at Essen Spiel. And, and they've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, Heat is their latest one. It's by the same designers as Flam Rouge. And it sort of, a lot of people are gonna compare it to Flam Rouge. And I'm sort of gonna compare it because it's by the same designers. It's a racing game. You play cards to move. But other than that, it's very, very different. In Flamme Rouge, you have a deck of cards. And when you play a card, that card is gone for the entire game. So you go through your deck and there is a little bit of cycling through your deck, but there's no deck building or anything like that, apart from getting exhaustion cards. Um, but yeah, once you play a card in Flamme Rouge to move, the card is gone out of the game. That's like the core mechanism of the game. Heat, nothing like that. It is a deck building game and cards go into your deck, cards don't go out of your deck, and you basically keep cycling through, yeah, until the game ends. Now, I think Heat is fantastic, but caveat this with, I haven't played all of the stuff that comes with the game, because what they've included in the game is not just four different racetracks, but they've included the basic rules, which I've played quite a few times now, and I think is a perfectly good game, and it works really well, and if you're going to play the game with a family or something like that, then that's really good. But then there's all of these extra modules that they've thrown in. 
First of all, the solo mode. I haven't tried it yet, but I've heard the solo mode is fantastic, that the legendary players, the AI are really easy to run. So yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that at some point. Uh, we have played one game where we drafted the cards. So that, that was a bit interesting. Um, it adds another dimension to the game. We've not played with the weather rules yet. Um, so as always with these video logs, I'm very keen to hear your feedback. If you want to leave me a comment, let me know if you've played Heat, whether you liked it or not, which modules have you played, which ones would you recommend, etc, etc. Always after your feedback on the games that I talk about and whether you've played them or whether you like them or not. So that's Heat, Pedal to the Metal, as I say, played three times in the last six weeks. Also on the 9th of December was Flamecraft. And now this was a sponsored video. Lucky Duck Games uh, asked me to create this video. Well, in fact, I actually asked them because Flamecraft was a game which was on my radar. I think there is definitely a market for family weight games. Absolutely. I mean, that's a silly statement to make. Of course, there's a market for it. What I mean is there are certain family weight games that come out which are a little bit too light for me to enjoy as a medium to heavy Euro gamer. Flamecraft was one of those which was, which I was very keen on, was getting a lot of hype. A lot of people were saying really good things about it. It looked gorgeous. And I, I quite liked the idea of it. So I contacted Lucky Duck Games and I made an arrangement with them. They sent me a copy of the game and they agreed to sponsor a playthrough video. It's on the channel now if you want to see us play it. It is a tutorial and playthrough of Flamecraft. And my opinion on the game is that I went into the game thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. This is going to be a light family game. I'll do it. I'll enjoy it. But I'm probably not going to want to play this game again. It's probably going to be a bit too light for me. We played one practice game and then we played another game. So I've played it twice. And would I play it again? Absolutely. Was it uh, as light as expected? Kind of no. I mean, yes and no. It's definitely a family weight game, but there was enough in there to keep me going back for more because the rules were relatively streamlined. It only takes about an hour and I found it very enjoyable. And there were certain things about it that meant that made me think, okay, so a family, you know, it's, I don't think it's a game for first time gamers, but maybe second time gamers. You know, once they've played some some basic game, I think this might be the next, the next step. Um, and I really like the variability in the way that the different buildings that come out as the game goes on and the different abilities they've got uh, sort of switch things up a bit. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. It is the same six dragons each time you play. Uh, and maybe if they do an expansion set, maybe there'll be different dragons that you can chop and change. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed my play of Flamecraft. As I say, it's on the channel now if you want to go and check that out. Uh, and I, I definitely play that again. I mean, like I said... We, we all enjoyed it, and most of us that played it are into uh, heavier games. So there's definitely a place for it. You know, if you've got an hour to an hour and a quarter free at the end of the night, and you want to play something a little bit easier, but still with enough meat to it, then, then yeah, that's Flamecraft. And yeah, it looks gorgeous. Right, next up is Block and Key. So after we'd finished Flamecraft, which, as I say, is not a long game, um, we did the playthrough on a Friday evening, and it was probably about 930 and it was like maybe 10 o'clock. And it was like, well, we normally finish at 11 o'clock. We're kind of done now with Flamecraft. And I think one person went home. But the rest of us stayed and we played Block and Key. Now, this was streamed to Patreon supporters because this was very much a behind-the-scenes video of us getting the game out, learning how to play, and trying to play it. So Block and Key is a game from Inside Up Games that I've had my eye on since it was on Kickstarter because it looks the physical presence of the game looks fantastic it's basically 3d board i'll try and put a picture of it on screen now 
and the the box actually turns into the board of the game. And then what you're doing is you, you're placing all of these pieces on the board. This is an interesting game because this is an abstract game. It's very much an abstract game, but it's very much like not a Euro game, really. It's more in the kind of, this is a game you might find in a high street store. I'm, not, I'm, I'm probably not wording it correctly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find words to explain this game. It's relatively simple. In fact, it's pretty simple in terms of you're taking these pieces and you're placing these pieces. Um, and, and that's about it. The placement rules are a little bit tricky in the way that, the way that you can place them and understanding when you can place something next to something else. That took that took us a game to get used to. And I don't think we I don't think we got it right on our first game. Uh, but then I took it um, to Vicky's family over Christmas and we played a couple of games there. Uh, and then I think I've played another one or two games since. So I think I've played it about four or five times uh, in the last six weeks. And I very much enjoy it because it is something a bit different. And as I say, it isn't a Euro game. It is just taking these pieces, putting these pieces. The trick with the game is that you own, you are only interested in the board from your perspective. So what happens is the players sit at the corners or the sides of the main board, and you're basically looking at the board and you've got to have the board at eye height, otherwise you'll be crouching down all the time. Uh, and what you're doing is you're looking at everything from your perspective. So it kind of doesn't matter whether something, you know, from the top, you could have a piece which is, you know, six spaces in front of another one. But when you look down at your angle, suddenly you're like, oh, well, wait a minute, that's actually next to that one. And what you're trying to do is you try and match the patterns on your cards. And that's basically it. Placing pieces on the board to try and match the patterns. But it has a nice flow to it and it plays relatively quickly. So that's a game that I would definitely get out. Uh, suitable for non-gamers, definitely, because of the low rules overhead. Just as I say, the, the rules about where you can place are a little bit tricky. So that's block and key played a few times. Next up, on Saturday, the 10th of December, I hosted a games day. So a whole bunch of people came over. I think about 10 or 11 people came over. Um, I played a load of games up, upstairs and there were some games being played downstairs. So the games that I played that day, and I don't think any of these were sponsored. So this was a Patreon funded games day. Uh, the first one I played was Heat, which I, I've already mentioned. So that, that was the first one. And that was actually streamed. So if you want to see a tutorial and playthrough of Heat, then that is on the channel. That was streamed live on Saturday, 10th of December. Uh, the next up, we played Letter Jam. So basically, what I'd scheduled in is I'd scheduled in a game of Heat, a game of Starship Captains, and a game of Crossing Oceans. However, the game of Heat finished a lot quicker than expected. So we had, we had about an hour to an hour and a half between when I'd planned to do Starship Captains. So we got out a few games, uh, and this was streamed to Patreon supporters. This was like a bonus... Uh, a bonus extra stream for people. And we got out a few games and then we decided which one we wanted to play. And we decided on playing Letter Jam. Now, Letter Jam, I absolutely love Letter Jam. I mean, I've demoed Letter Jam over 200 times over the years when doing demos for CGE, but I absolutely love Letter Jam. It's just a great game. Every time we play it, it's the game where you've got, everybody has uh, cards in stands facing away from you and you give clues to each other and you try and work out what the letters are. It's just extremely clever in the way that it works. Now, the one thing I wanted to mention about Letter Jam, and I've had this a few times when running demos, is because it's a game about making up anagrams and then working out anagrams, a lot of people who are dyslexic think that they would have a problem with it. And one of the players around our table that day said, ah, I'm dyslexic, so I'm going to struggle with this. Now, I convinced them to play it. Now, the reason why I convinced them to play it was because in all of the demos that I've done of Letter Jam, I 
demoed the game so many times to people who said they suffered from dyslexia. And yet they were able to play letter jam. And this wasn't just a one-off occurrence. This probably happened about five or six times over the last three years. So I convinced them, I said, look, give it a go. If it's a problem, we can stop playing, not a problem, but try it out and see how you get on. And they did, and they were absolutely fine with it. So Letter Jam is one of those games where everybody I've played it with who is dyslexic in, in some degree uh, has had no problem with the game. And that's a little unusual because I would have thought it would be a problem. Anyway, that's Letter Jam, fantastic game. I almost never say no to a game of Letter Jam and I generally like to play it at least once every time I go to a convention. Um, comparing Letter Jam to other games, other party games, such as Just One, So Clover and everything else, it's not. So Just One, So Clover, Codenames are all brilliant games. Simple rules, suitable for parties, suitable for large groups of people, and people can drop in and drop out. Letter Jam is not that. Now, I don't class Letter Jam as a party style game, even though it is a huge amount of fun and it kind of fits sort of into that category because a game of it takes about 45 to 50 minutes to play and you need all of the players there for the whole game and it's the slow burn. Now, Letter Jam is an amazing game and I absolutely love playing it and it's a lot of fun, but it isn't your two or three minute rounds with people dropping in here and there. So it's something a bit more. Um, and I've done the official how to play video on Letter Jam if you're interested in learning how to play, but the how to play, any anybody who tries to teach you how to play Letter Jam without you actually playing it, it's hard to get that to click. So yeah, that's Letter Jam. Uh, what else did we play on that day? We then played Starship Captains. So Starship Captains is the game from CGE's big game from last year. Well, they did two games. They did Deal with the Devil and they did Starship Captains. Deal with the Devil was a very niche game. It's extremely good, but it's very niche. Starship Captains was their next game that I think was kind of aiming for a similar market to Lost Ruins of Arnak. In that, here's a game with great production uh, and really great you know, artwork and graphic design and everything else that fits into this medium weight sort of game category, um, but with a science fiction theme instead of the um, you know exploring the jungle type of thing. I think that's kind of what they were going for with the game. But the general consensus of the game, now I didn't get a chance to play this game at any point during development, or I didn't even get a chance to play it at Essen. In fact, when I played it on Saturday the 10th, that was my first game of it. Uh, and I hadn't I hadn't played it before that. And in fact, somebody else taught me how to play that day. Thank you very much. Um, but the general feedback that I'd been hearing from everybody on Starship Captains was, eh, it's all right. Whereas Lost Ruins of Arnak, everybody was like, oh my God, this is like one of the best games ever. Um, so the feet, I, I went into the game with low expectations. There's nothing wrong with the game. The game is fine, and there are some parts of the game that are good. But as I said, the general feedback that I've been hearing from a lot of people, including uh, Gridcon. So uh, Starship Captains was borrowed a lot, and it was played a lot at Gridcon. And the feedback, and this is not just from like two or three people. This is the feedback from 20 or 30 people is, yeah, it's an all right game, but it's nothing amazing. Anyway. My thoughts on it, better than I expected because I went into it with low expectations. Um, there are certain parts of the game that were clever. I really liked the the worker part of the game in the way that you have the queue and you get your crew and you assign your crew. I liked the flow of the game. In the, at the start of the game, you're only doing like a couple of actions, relatively simple ones. 
But then as the game goes on and you get these additional rooms, you've got extra actions <coughs> that you can do. I liked the way that the sort of board refreshed with the pirates and everything else. Um, but ultimately, the game was a lot, and I'm, and I'm finding this a lot with Euro games at the moment. And it's probably always been the case. And it's only just recently that I've started to get a little bit jaded by it. Go there, collect some resources, go there, spend the resources to do a thing. There's a lot of games like this. Now, I generally like that as a mechanism, but I'm finding it increasingly a problem because there's not much interest in it. And I had a similar thing with Starship Captains. I was taking actions to gain these things, and then I was going and doing the missions, and the missions were basically spend the things. Um, now, apologies if I'm not remembering correctly. It was five weeks ago, and I haven't played it since. But would I play it again? Absolutely. In fact, I was going to play it the next week at the local games club, and then I wasn't able to go because I got caught up with some work. So yeah, I definitely play it again. I tried the solo mode, but I've heard that the solo mode is a little bit eh, uh, not that great. So I'm, I'm keen to try it, but it, it, it's lower on the list. This is the next game that I'm asking your opinion on. Starship Captains, have you played it? What did you think of it? You know, did it blow you away or did it not blow you away? I'm really curious to see what other people think about this game. Next up was uh, Crossing Oceans. So Crossing Oceans was originally advertised as Transatlantic 2. Now, I did a review of Transatlantic many, many, many years ago when I used to do reviews. Uh, and my review of Transatlantic was not very positive. Uh, the game had some very big issues. The rulebook uh, had, a, had massive issues, really, really big problems with the rulebook. Gameplay I found was quite boring uh, and the graphic design was pretty terrible. There was probably a good game in there. There was probably an interesting game in there, but it was let down by all of these things. Anyway, years have passed and Mike Gertz and P.D. Verlag decided to redo the game and then they renamed it Crossing Oceans. So it was originally, as I say, known as Transatlantic 2 and then it got renamed to Crossing Oceans. But effectively, it is a second edition of Transatlantic. It is almost the same game, but with a big overhaul in terms of the rulebook, there's different different rulebook, um, but also the graphic design has been improved and it's now got a board rather than just these abstract lanes. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy the game. However, I don't want to play it again. And the reason I don't want to play it again is it went on way too long. Games these days for the last four or five years, maybe even a bit longer, have been coming down in playtime, right? And, and 10 or 15 years ago, I would be playing a game and it would be a three hour game. And that would be acceptable. Two and a half to three hours maybe three and a half for the longer ones. And that was the playtime of a game. But what's been happening in the hobby over the last five to 10 years is that playtime has been coming down without losing any of the goodness of the game. So a lot of games now are packing the same amount of enjoyment factor and decision space and everything else, but into a shorter playtime. And Crossing Oceans just it was it was too long now i can't actually remember i mean the video is online if you want to see the video if you want to see us playing it it's online now i think it was about two and a half three hours long but the reason why it was too long for me is we were doing exactly the same thing over and over again all the way through the game and there was no 
evolution of the game. The actions that we were taking at the end of the game were the same as the actions at the start of the game. So there was no real progression. And I don't mind a game taking two and a half, three hours, but when you're simply just repeating the same thing over and over again, I, I need it to be shorter. Uh, and I'd got bored about sort of halfway through, two thirds of the way through. So I enjoyed the game. I think mechanically it is a good game. I think it is just too long because you are doing the same thing over and over again. You are buying ships, which you need money for. You're buying coal, you're loading the coal onto the ships. And then you're doing actions that allow you to basically use the ships to gain money. Now, the way that the game evolves is that the ships get more and more expensive, but you get more and more money for them when you do the thing. So that it basically stays the same. You know, at the start of the game, you might be able to buy two ships with the money that you've got. And at the end of the game, you might be able to buy two ships because you've got more money and you're getting more money, but the ships are more expensive. So that's Crossing Oceans. Have you tried it? Let me know what you think. Finally, just before people went home, we got a game of Sherlock 13 in. Now, Sherlock 13 is from uh, Arcane Wonders and was described to me as Cluedo in 15 minutes. And effectively, it is, it is Cluedo. It's a multiplayer game, it's a competitive game, and it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to play. So that's right. And there are these suspects uh, or these characters, and one of these characters at the start of the game randomly decided as being that that is the, you know, that is the murderer or whatever. And the rest of the cards are divided out between the players. And the players are trying to work out what the one in the middle is, uh, who committed the crime. And then on their turn, they can they can write it, write it down. I think it's them. Look at it. And if they're right, they've won the game. And if they don't, if they're not right, they're, they are out of the game. So very, very similar to Cluedo. Um, but what it, the way it works is that you simply ask questions. And it, it's clever in a way in that the cards have got different icons and symbols on. And you've got like this cheat sheet that tells you exactly how many symbols of each type are in the game. And what you do is you say uh, to such and such a player, have you got, you know, have you got any magnifying glasses in your hand or something like that? And you, you make notes and things like that. Now, we played it and I can see it sort of working, but we've only played it the once. But our game, and, and I've, I've, yeah, we played it the once, but some of the people that had played it had played it before. So my opinion after one game was the same as their opinion after two games. The problem that we found with the game, and again, I'm curious to see what you think about the game, because as I say, we've only played it, I only played it once, they've played it twice. Because you're asking the questions openly and the answers are given openly, what happens is everybody is actually getting the same information at the same time. So that means I ask a question, somebody else asks a question, and then the third player, because of the questions we've asked, has worked out who did it. I don't know. I don't know. I went back to the rule book afterwards because I thought, surely, surely, surely we've done something wrong and we hadn't done anything wrong. That was just... That was just how it is. Um, so I'm curious to go back to it again to see, you know, <laughs> is that just how it is? Does the game actually work or not? I'm, I'm not sure. Let us know what you think if you've played Sherlock 13. Uh, and finally, the last night of the game that we played, we packed in a lot of games this night. Oh, Sherlock 13 was on the channel. If you're a patron supporter, that was streamed as a bonus uh, late night stream. And so was the next game, which was The Crew, Mission Deep Sea. So to finish the night off, we got out The Crew, Mission Deep Sea. Now, I haven't played Mission Deep Sea. I've played the original one, but I've not played Mission Deep Sea. 
and at least one of the players around the table, possibly two, hadn't played any of the crew. So we basically taught how to play the game and then we played a few missions of it. Uh, and I remember enjoying it. Now, my question to you, if you wouldn't mind letting me know, if you've played both of them, which one do you prefer and why? I've heard generally that Mission Deep Sea is the better game, but I'm trying to work out why, and I think it might be down to the missions. The missions are quite a bit more interesting and quite a bit more varied than just, you've got to get these cards in this order. Uh, a lot of the, the, there's a huge amount of missions with uh, Mission Deep Sea that are all sort of different victory conditions. We played a few games and like the original, they do get harder as you go along. We got one which was almost impossible because it was like, right, that player needs to be the first one to win such and such a thing, but can't have any of these. And it was like, okay, well, this, this is going to be very, very difficult. I think you get that sometimes. Um, but anyway, the crew, Mission Deep Sea, the crew is a fantastic game. For those people who don't know, uh, Mission Deep Sea is the sequel to the crew. What was the original one called? Can't remember. Um, Deep Space, something or other. Um, but it's a cooperative trick-taking game. I think it won the Spiel des Jahres. Uh, I think the original one did win the Spiel des Jahres. It's a fantastic game, but it requires players to cooperate together without actually discussing anything openly. One of those styles of games. Um, but there's so many hidden layers to the communication. As I say, you're not allowed to talk to each other, but you can be playing cards down and you can reveal one card and put a counter on it. Very, very clever game and really, really just a great game and I wish I was better at it. My my brain unfortunately doesn't work in the right way to be able to fully work out what things, uh, what people mean when they do certain things. Um, and I'll never forget the game where I was learning how to play uh, using Board Game Arena. Uh, and I think it was Mohammed, one of my patron supporters, who was basically uh, talking to me privately, explaining to me, right, well that player's just played a blue three. That means you know that they've only got that, which means they know this, which means that. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. OK. And it's really clever how you how you work that out. But yeah, I struggle with that. That's it. That was that games day. So that, that was a lot happening on 10th of December. Next up, 14th of December, I had a hankering for playing Terraforming Mars. So I dug out the digital version and I did this. This is a live stream. It's on the channel if you're interested. I've covered Terraforming Mars Digital a few times. The digital adaptation of Terraforming Mars oh, is so, so good. It's beautiful. They have done an amazing job at the visuals. But the AI is rubbish, absolutely rubbish. So I played a game against two AIs set on the hardest difficulty setting and I won easily. That doesn't mean I'm very good at the game. It just means the AI is not very good. So yeah, the digital adaptation of Terraforming Mars is amazing and fantastic and looks brilliant and it does all of the stuff for you, but the AI is really not very good. And it's a real shame that they don't acknowledge this because they could quite easily code in some settings that, you know, that are not in the board game, but, you know, give them an extra one income of each type or something like that. You know, a way to tweak the game so that it is actually a challenge. Because um, whilst I enjoy playing it, I'm going to have to set myself some new goals. But if I play Terraforming Mars against the AI, I need to set myself a goal of, I need to win by 30 points. Because if, if I don't win by 30 points, then it isn't a victory. Something like that, because otherwise it's just way too easy. Um, anyway, what I also did, 
is uh, about a week later, so 22nd of December, I decided that I would try the Terraforming Mars solo mode using the digital version because the solo mode of the game is incorporated into the digital version. Now, I have opinions on the Terraforming Mars solo mode in that I think it's awful. I think it's one of the worst solo modes of a game that's ever been designed. And I know I'm, I, I think I'm in the minority with this, but the reason why I think it's awful is, first of all, the solo game of Terraforming Mars has you, um, the card, let's talk about the cards. Every single card in Terraforming Mars, in my opinion, is balanced. Now you might disagree with that, whatever, but you have certain cards in Terraforming Mars which are like, okay, so this card here, this costs a huge amount of money and it does a particular thing, but it's worth two points. So that card is balanced, okay? It's very expensive, but it's worth two points and it's got a cool ability, right? Here's another card that is very cheap to play, has a very powerful effect, but is minus two points. Oh, so in a multiplayer game, you'd be very nervous about playing that card because it's minus two points, right? So every card is balanced, I think. However, in the solo game, your objective is not to score points. Your objective is to simply terraform the planet by a certain period of time, certain amount of rounds, 14 generations or 13 generations or something. And this is my biggest problem with it because you not only are you at the mercy of the cards that you get, and sometimes you just might not get cards that terraform the planet really, but also certain cards are just way, way too powerful, like massively broken, like the card with that's really cheap to play with a hugely powerful effect that's minus two points. In the solo game, you don't care about points, so you just play the card. And then there are lots and lots of other cards that are you know, really good cards for multiplayer, which are totally useless in the solo game. And that, that's my biggest problem with it, is it's a card-driven game and you're going through the cards um, and you're just getting ones that are like, well, I'll buy that because it's completely broken and I'm going to ignore those because they're useless. And, and, and that's kind of it. Anyway, why did I then play the solo mode? Well, it's because I've had these thoughts in my mind, but over time, these thoughts kind of dissipated a little bit. And I was getting the real urge to play more Terraforming Mars. So I did that Terraforming Mars digital playthrough where I used two AIs. And then about a week later, I said, right, okay, I've got this niggling thought at the back of my mind. Let's just try the solo mode one more time because I've got all of these thoughts about it, but it's been a while since I've played it, so let's play it. And I did, and I never want to play the solo mode again because it was exactly the same problem. And it was just, it was painful. And it was done as a private stream to Patreon supporters. And I remember just not enjoying it at all because as I said, at the start of the round, I would get four cards and I'd be like, well, I'm obviously going to take that one and I'm going to ignore those three. So there's no real decision point there. You know, the, the, all of those really interesting decisions that you find in the multiplayer game, especially when you're drafting about whether to take the cards, whether to buy the cards, all of that sort of thing. That's just gone out the window. You were just at the mercy of the cards that you draw. And I just found that it was a, a routine exercise. The only enjoyable part about it was that the app looks nice and the interface is really good. So anyway. Terraforming Mars, di uh, digital, a brilliant adaptation, very, very good, but the AI mode is awful um, and you could easily beat it. 
And the solo mode for me, the solo mode is not, that, that's not a fault of the app. That's just the solo mode itself. Um, but Terraform is still one of my favorite games. I love the game. I'm not knocking the game itself. It's just, just those bits. Right, next up, um, 16th of December, it's another Friday games day. And we had two new games to cover on the channel. Both of these were streamed. So if you were interested in either of these games, they are on the channel. They were streamed live on the 16th of December. And every time I mention that there's a video on my channel, anybody who goes to my channel, quite often people can't find the videos. So it's because YouTube a few weeks ago split videos and live. So when I say it was a live stream, you need to go to the YouTube channel and you need to click the live tab. So they've separated them out. It's an awful decision, absolutely awful decision. And I get lots of people messaging me saying, Paul, you said you've done a video on such and such thing and I can't find it on the channel. Yeah, it's, it's in the live section. Anyway, the two games we covered on the December 16th were Come Together and Palaces of Carrara. Let's talk about Palaces of Carrara first. This is actually the second edition of the game by Game Brewer, who were kind enough to give me a review copy of it at Essenspiel. Palaces of Carrara is a, an old style Euro game from Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling, I think, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, the, that design duo have been doing games together for a very, very long time. And the old school German style design about it is very simple mechanisms. And the interesting thing about Palaces of Carrara is Gamebrew has just done the second edition and all credit to Gamebrewer for picking up some of these older games and, and redoing them uh, and reprinting them because they're really good games. And Palaces of Carrara was one of those that I've had my eye on since the first edition came out and it just never got around to trying it. So I was really happy that I tried it. We played the basic game. Now there is the advanced game with a lot more going on, but because it was our first game of it, we just played the base game and it's an absolutely solid Euro game. No theme in it whatsoever but really interesting choices and decisions. And my thoughts on it was that the gaming industry and the gaming hobby has changed so much over the last five, 10 years with Kickstarter, miniatures, bling, and all of this lot. And I don't think a game like Palaces of Carrara, if it was to come out now and not be, you know, here's a reprint of an older game, I don't think it would do that well because People want more these days. They would look at Palaces of Carrara and go, well, it's just, it's just a simple Euro game. There's nothing, mm, you know, where's the hook? And I think it's a bit of a problem. I'm finding it a bit of a problem because Palaces of Carrara was an absolutely solid game and really good game. But a lot of time at the moment, designers, publishers and everything else, they're looking for something, looking for an edge, looking for, to do something new. And I'm not saying all new games that are coming out are awful because they're not. There's lots of great games coming out all the time. What I'm saying is that there are some really good old school designs that are just really solid games that I think a lot of people might find boring now. But yeah, Palace of Carrara, I really enjoyed it. The next step for me is to play the advanced version of the game, which might be happening at some point soon. I don't know. It's one of the games that's on the shortlist for me to covering on the channel some point soonish. So yeah, Palaces of Carrara. And the next one is Come Together. Now Come Together came out at Essenspiel, published by Chillfox Games. Uh, Chillfox Games and Aporta Games are kind of partners um, and Aporta Games did Revive and Chillfox Games did Come Together. But essentially, as far as I understand it, it's the same group of people sort of behind both games. 
Now, I wasn't sure what to expect with Come Together. I'd heard some good things about it on the grapevine from various people, but thematically, the game has no real interest for me. It's set in the 1960s, 1970s, and you are putting on a music festival. Now, I'm not saying I have a problem with that as a theme. I don't, but it's not a theme which instantly appeals to me. I have no real interest in, in, in putting on music festivals in the 1960s and 70s. But I don't play games for the theme. I play games if they are mechanically good. And Come Together was amazing. I just thought it was fantastic. Now, I don't remember the details because it was four weeks ago, but I do remember all the way through the game, right from learning the game, through playing it, and at the end thinking, this is a really solid game. Now, I think some people might be put off from the art style um, because the front cover is very 60s with flowers on it and everything else. And the board, the game board is very sort of, uh, you know, using artwork that's of, of the time. Uh, and it's very green and everything else. And I think a lot of people might be put off by that. But don't be because the game itself is very, very good. There is a solo mode, which I do want to try at some point. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed Come Together. Um, as I say, theme, theme didn't matter to me. But did the theme fit with the game? Absolutely. So let's talk about thematic integration of mechanisms because there are some games that I play where the theme is literally irrelevant, literally totally and utterly irrelevant, and it could be anything. In Come Together, it actually fits. The way that it works is that you have this camp and you have these uh, people who are coming to your camp and they're setting up their tents and they like different types of music and it's different colored meeples. And then what you do is you put on shows and different people will go and see the shows depending on what type of music they like. And it all fits. So not only was it a great game mechanically, but the theme actually does come across in the game. You know, the audience, the people the, the, in the tents, the crowd, they go to a particular stage, they'll watch, watch a particular show, and then they'll go back to the tents. Because that's what happens at a music festival. You don't just go and watch one act and then go home. You know, you go back to the tent and then you're still there. Um, and it, it all worked. So yeah, I really liked it mechanically. I thought it worked very well and I'm very keen to, to play it again. Have you played Come Together? Let me know, because I think it was one of those, it wasn't in the massively popular titles that came out at Essen, but it was a very, very good one. Next up, 17th of December, Frostpunk. Got the, got the generator here. So I've already covered the multiplayer game of Frostpunk on the channel. Uh, that, that is on the channel if you're interested in seeing a four-player playthrough of Frostpunk. But on the 17th, I did the solo game. Now, I say I did the solo game, Ben came around and joined me. Because I'm a big believer that solo games with two people are a thing. And they work really well. And I've done this quite a few times and I still do it. So, for those people who don't understand... It's a solo game. You are playing the solo game, but there is two of you playing it together. And that's what we did. So Ben came over and we played Frostpunk. We did the solo game of Frostpunk. Uh, and that's on the channel now. So if you want to see that, you can go and check it out. It's in the live section, December 17th. Um, we didn't do very well. We died. Uh, I think it's Ben's fault because I went downstairs to get some food and I came upstairs and we died. So I think it's definitely Ben's fault. Um, so I've played Frostpunk a few times now. It is possibly my number one game of last year. 
it, it might be. I haven't yet decided. But from an experience alone, the game is amazing. I absolutely love the feeling of playing the game, the struggling to survive, the agonizing decisions. Now, I'm not very good at the game. And Frostpunk is a game that if I had more time, I'd be playing it right now at least once a week. Because I, I've got a lot of patron supporters and a lot of friends who've got the game and they've been playing it. And a lot of people have been playing it a lot more than me. And I'm very, very jealous. But also, I'm not very good at the game. And it is a challenging game and it's really difficult. But I know a few people that have actually been able to succeed at the mission. And I just want to play it more because eventually... I'll, I'll, I'll get it right. Now, I've realized one of the problems that I have with Frostpunk, every single time I play it, I'm focusing on the short term. How are we going to get enough coal for this turn? And how are we going to get enough wood for this turn? And every single time I've played it, which has only been three or four times, we have died by round six or seven. And it's because I'm only focusing on the short term. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you've played Frostpunk and you've, you've beaten the mission, the base mission is you actually need to be thinking at the start of the game, right, on round five, how are we going to be generating coal? So there are various ways in the game to generate coal, coal thumpers, coal mines, etc., etc. Uh, various ways in the game of generating wood. You need to be thinking about what is going to be your way of getting coal later in the game, and you need to be thinking that at the start of the game. Um, and that's next time I play it, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to think, right, okay, first objective is build some shelters for the people so they don't get sick, build a medical post, heal the sick. And the problem is there's so many things to do and you can't do everything. So yeah, T uh, Frostpunk, fantastic game. Absolutely love it. And the how to play video should be out soon. Um, then, so that was streamed. That, that was on the channel. But then what we did is because Ben had about an hour or so before he needed to disappear, we got out Hoplomarchus Victorum. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Hoplomarchus Victorum uh, later in the video, but Ben came over and uh, we basically got it out and we sat there for about an hour and a half reading the rules and trying to work out how to play and then we played a couple of games. Uh, so that that happened on that day as well. I'll, I'll come back to Hoplomarchus Victorum in a minute. <coughs> Next up, 18th of December. So Sunday the 18th of December... Uh, we played two games of Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth. This is not on the channel because this is the game that we're playing with me, Vicky, Mark and Sally. Uh, we played two games on the 18th of December and then we also met up on the 15th of January and we played two more games. So we're playing the first campaign, which is, I think, the Bones of Arnor. Uh, and we have just completed... I can't remember. I think we've done... Uh... We did. We've done four missions anyway. So I think we're about 10 or 11 missions or adventures into campaign number one. Uh, and I'm loving it. I, I, I still love Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth. And I talk about this every month because we're playing it every month. Um, and I haven't painted any more miniatures, unfortunately. I've been on a bit of a painting hiatus. Um, but yeah, we're still really enjoying it. The story's good. Each adventure's good. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth other than that I really enjoy it. Uh, next up, 22nd of December, Hoplomarchus Victorum, and 23rd of December, Hoplomarchus Victorum. Right, so now it's time to talk about Hoplomarchus Victorum, which is my number one most anticipated solo game, probably of all time. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is Hoplomarchus Victorum is only a solo game, okay? So there are very few games that come out which are solo only. 
you could say Frostpunk is really a solo game because even the multiplayer game, it's kind of still a solo game. But Hoplomarchus Victorum was a solo game only. And I've been excited about Hoplomarchus Victorum for a very long time because various people, Mark Dainty, Ricky Royal, people like that have been telling me about this game. Uh, Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. Lots of people have been telling me how good it is. And I've never actually played any of the Hoplomarchus games. So I've been really keen to try it. And I had a copy and it's been sat there on the shelf staring at me, want, me wanting to play it. And I've been wanting to play it, but I was busy with the Frosthaven video and just didn't get a chance. So anyway, I had that practice game with Ben where we sat down and we kind of learned how to play the game from the rulebook. Then on the 22nd of December, I did a Patreon only stream where I spent about three or four hours practicing the game, properly learning it again, setting it up, running through it, playing a few games of it. And that was all in preparation for the 23rd of December when I did a live stream. So if you're interested, there's a video on the channel in the live section of me playing Hoplomarchus Victorum on the 23rd of December. And it wasn't sponsored. So I spent a lot of time planning and preparing this for that video. And it wasn't a sponsored video. So a big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters again for funding the channel. It was a Patreon funded video um, and we played it. And now we only played act one. So a full game of Hoplomarchus Victorum is three acts where you fight a Primus at the end of each act and then the big Scion battle at the end. Uh, and that's the campaign. And I only managed to get through act one. Um, yeah, I think if you played it quicker, you could probably get an entire game done in about eight hours, maybe. But with me learning the game and talking to the chat and everything else, I think I played for about three and a half, four hours maybe, uh, and we got to the end of Act One. So my my initial thoughts on Hoplon for Marcus Victorum is I absolutely loved it, but it has the usual thing that is present in all games from Chip Theory Games in that I made a million rules mistakes. And it's like, ah. Uh, now, the support for Chip, the, the support for any games from Chip Theory Games is fantastic. So they've got a Discord channel and they're very active on the Discord channel and there's fans and you know members of the company on there. So if you've got any questions whatsoever, you can go on and ask, which is great. And that's absolutely what you need. But in that playthrough, there are a few things that we got wrong. Now, a few of the things we got wrong were my fault. For example, I forgot that when I was playing in the arena with the Trident, that I was playing Kraken Lance, and Kraken Lance was my hero, and Kraken Lance is an Atlantean, and it, the rules say that all local units get plus one damage when using the Trident. So when Kraken Lance uses the Trident, it doesn't deal two damage, it uses three damage. That's my fault, that's that's on me. But it's one of those games, like all of their games, where you've got lots of different things to take into account. So it's actually quite easy to miss something. Um, and by doing it by doing it as a live stream, the advantage is that people watching in the chat can remind me uh, of those things that I was getting wrong. It's exactly the same with Too Many Bones, exactly the same with Cloudspire. The opportunity to make mistakes, and I don't think this is just me. I, I you know, maybe maybe I'm just absolutely rubbish and keep making all of these mistakes. I don't think it's just me. Um, but Too Many Bones has that. Now, I think the rulebook is very, very good. I think it's their best rulebook that they've done yet. Uh, and I think a lot of things in there are extremely clear. The core rules are very, very clear. But 
some of the special rules for some of the arenas are not quite as clear as they should be. And in particular, there is one uh, arena where I did a few battles in where there are these beasts. And it says that local units um, basically are friendly with the beasts. So the beasts won't attack them and they won't attack the beasts. But the beast will go around and attack other people. Um, and, and I think there's an error in there. And I think there is. And I think they need to issue some errata. Um, because it's all about the definition of an opposing unit. Uh, and basically, I played all of these battles. And it turns out that I played them all wrong. Because I had the beasts were next to local units. But because they were still classed as opposing units, they weren't moving. Which means they were staying there and they were not doing anything. Now, I've had it ruled that the beasts now do not treat local units as opposing. It doesn't say that anywhere in the rules or the special rules. So we were we were still treating them as opposing units, but they don't. Um, but anyway, Hopler Markets Victorum, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And it made me so sad. And it, I'm still sad right now that I've not had the chance to go back to it. Because again, if I had the time, Hopler Markets Victorum would be a game that I'd be playing... Oh, so much more, so much more. And, I, and I'm desperate to get back to it. So I really want to, really want to cover it more. And in fact, I would have done if it weren't for the fact that I've been sick for the last couple of weeks. That was one of the things I had planned another playthrough of it. Unfortunately, that's that's had to be uh, delayed. The other game that I played on the 23rd, in fact, before I did the Hopla Marcus Victorum playthrough, I played Aleph Null or Aleph Null. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. This is a new card game by Tony Boydell, uh, published by Frosted Games in Germany, um, Capstone Games in America. And uh, Tony has done another of these card games called Lux Eterna. Aleph Null is his second one, and it is a solo game only. And it's played with, you know, cards, and you're trying to summon this demon and everything else. My first game of it was very much a learning game, because this is a game where you need to uh, understand what cards are in the game because you have a specific objective. You have to summon this demon, but when you summon the demon, you need to have no cards in your hand, no cards in your deck, uh, no cards in play, otherwise you lose the game. Something like that. So it's a really clever game. It's a puzzle that you've got to work out how are you going to get all about or doing all of these things within the certain time that you're given, but also you need to deconstruct your deck so that when you summon the demon, there are no cards anywhere. Very, very clever. Definitely wanted to play it again. Took it with me over Christmas, but didn't get a chance to try it again. Uh, the video's on the channel now. If you're interested, it wasn't a long video. It's a solo playthrough from December the 23rd, and it's called Aleph Null, designed by Tony Boydell. Right, next up. I said this was going to be long. Christmas. So over uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and New Year's Eve, I got lots of party games played. Unfortunately, between Christmas and New Year, there wasn't really much gaming for me. Um, I was kind of, I can't quite remember exactly what I was doing. Probably the Frosthaven video, but I was very much behind on a lot of my work. Uh, and I had various other videos to do as well. So I didn't actually get much gaming done. But the games that I played on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and New Year's Eve was uh, Telestrations, Just One, So Clover, uh, Time's Up. Block and Key. Now, I've spoken about Block and Key already. Uh, Just One and So Clover, I've spoken about them many times before. They are both amazing games. And I am... Every time I think about Just One and So Clover, it makes me happy. Because those are two of my most played games. And somebody said to me, 
what is going to be your most played game in 2023? And I said, probably just one and so Clover. Because those games come to the table so often and they're so fun. Every single time I play them, it's just a huge amount of fun. I just feel happy whenever I think about those games because every time I play them, I have a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, played just one, played So Clover. Oh, played Pictures as well. Played Pictures on uh, Christmas Day, I think, with Vicky and her parents. And I played it on New Year's Eve as well. Uh, and we played we played Pictures in team mode. Now, I didn't think this was going to work, but Mark and Sally persuaded me it would work. Pictures is a five-player game max, but there was 10 of us. So what we did is we played Pictures as teams. And it actually worked really well. So yeah, if you've got more than five people and you've got pictures, play it in teams. It works really well. Um, Telestrations is j just a bit of silly fun and Time's Up or Monikers, we always do that. That's become a New Year's Eve tradition. So yeah, lots of fun games played uh, over those two days. In fact, Christmas Eve with Vicky's family, um, we played so much, just one, in the evening uh, that I felt a little guilty. Now, I've spent the last 12 years trying to get them to play games because I like playing games. Um, and, and I've had very limited success. But since getting just one and so Clover, they love those games so much that they just keep wanting to play them over and over again. So that makes me happy. Um, right, moving on. The 6th of January, uh, oh yeah, so it was about the 4th of January when I got ill. The 3rd or 4th of January is when I got ill. So yeah, so the last couple of weeks have been a bit of a struggle. The 6th of January, I was due to have people round and we were due to play Revive. Second game of it, I've already covered it on the channel once, but I loved it, wanted to play it again. Uh, and people had planned to come round and then I was too ill and people couldn't come round. However, I was just about well enough and I did a solo playthrough. So if you're interested, there is a solo playthrough of Revive on my channel from the 6th of January. That was done at a time where I was ill, but I had a moment where I felt better. Now, I got really ill afterwards, but... <laughs> um, now, Revive, one of my favourite games from last year. So at the moment, Frostpunk, Revive and Carnegie... Not Carnegie. Yeah, Carnegie. Um are my contenders for best game of last year. I, I absolutely loved Revive. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I have a concern about the balance in the multiplayer game, but the solo game of Revive was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I absolutely loved it. It's such a thinky puzzle. So if you're interested in that, it's on the channel, December, uh, sorry, January the 6th. You can go and check that out. But yeah, solo playthrough of Revive, very, very much enjoyed the solo playthrough. Um, because of my concern with the balance in the multiplayer game, that isn't present in the solo game. So solo might be the best way to play it for me. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, then I had a week of being ill, but then on the 13th of January, uh, I got three games in. So what happened is um, people came over in the afternoon and we filmed the tutorial and playthrough for Vienna. Now, Vienna is the fifth game in the Steffenfeld City Collection. Uh, Queen Games are going to be going to Kickstarter with it sometime in the next couple of months, I think. Uh, and they asked me to film a tutorial and playthrough of the video. So we've done that. That didn't go out public. It did go out to Patreon supporters. So if you're a Patreon supporter of mine, uh, you would have been able to watch us playing that. Don't worry. You're not going to miss anything if you're not a Patreon supporter because that video is going to be taken down. I'm going to edit it and then it's going to be made available to the public 
uh, as part of the campaign. Now, Vienna, as I say, is the fifth game in the series. It is a re-implementation of La Isla. So La Isla is one of Stefan Feld's smaller box lighter games. And what they've done with Vienna is there's actually two modes of play. There is the there is the introductory game, which is pretty much the same as La Isla. And then there's the advanced game, which brings it up to the same complexity levels as the other ones in the series. Now, full disclosure, I was paid to create that video. I, Queen Games are one of my clients and I do a lot of work for them in creating videos. But my personal thoughts on Vienna were, I really, really enjoyed it. Now, I enjoyed it, I think, more than anybody else. Absolutely no theme whatsoever, okay? So we spoke earlier on about thematic integration. Uh, and I, I spoke about come together in the way that the theme and the mechanisms work together. In Vienna, I, I, I don't think there's any theme whatsoever in the game. I mean, the setting is 1950s Cold War and your agents and you're traveling around and you're trying to get information with bribes. It, it literally could be anything. I'm, I have no interest in the theme whatsoever. Mechanically, I thought it was very good and very clever and I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, that video is done. It was made available to Patreon supporters at the time. And keep an eye out on Queen Games Kickstarter and, and on my channel. But I will be putting that video live on my channel when, well, first of all, I've got to edit it, um, but when Queen Games want me to. So that that's Vienna. Then we had a game of Heat, uh, and then we played Agricola. So Vienna was filmed in the afternoon. We then had a, a couple of hours free before the Agricola playthrough. So we went downstairs, we got some food, and we played Heat. That was the one way we used the, the drafting of the cards. And then in the evening, we played Agricola. So this is actually six days ago from when I'm recording these vlogs. So it's about a week ago from now. And this is on the channel if you want to see us playing Agricola. Now, I can tell you all about Agricola because for the last eight to 10 years, I have been saying, why would I ever play Agricola again? Because I have Caverna. And for me, Caverna is a better game. Now, whether it is a better game or not is purely down to your opinion. And I know a lot of people prefer Agricola. But for me, Caverna is just like a lot more fun. I have a huge amount of more fun and enjoyment when playing Caverna than I do when playing Agricola. Now, I get that Agricola has the cards and therefore there's a lot more variety. Um, but for me, I would always prefer to play Caverna. Therefore, why would I ever want to play Agricola again? It has the moniker of uh, Misery Farm because it is so punishing, it's so tight, it's so challenging. Uh, and I prefer my games less tight and less punishing. However, when Agricola came out, I played it a lot and I absolutely loved it. At the time it came out and it was one of my most played games. So with the release of the 15th anniversary edition of Agricola, Lookout Games were kind enough to give me a copy of the 15th anniversary edition. And I said, I'll cover it on the channel. And actually I was looking forward to it. I was really looking forward to thinking, I've not played this in about 10 years. I'm gonna go back to it. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, why, why am I doing this? Why am I playing this game when I have another one, which I think is better? Anyway, we did the playthrough of Agricola. That's on the channel now, if you wanna watch it. And afterwards, we spoke about it because it wasn't a sponsored video. So we, we all shared our thoughts. And I'm really happy that I covered it again because I enjoyed the game a lot. 
And although I still believe that Caverna is a better game and Caverna, I will I will enjoy Caverna a lot more, I actually really enjoyed going back to Agri Agricola again. Now, we did play with a slight variant because in the 15th anniversary edition, there was this extra tile included in the game, which was an extra action space, which was an animal market or, from round five onwards, family growth. And one of my big peeves with Agricola is that because growing your family is massively important, like you just have to do it, and there is only one space in the game where you can do it until much, much later on, if you don't get the timing right, you can get absolutely screwed over and caught out. So I put this extra tile in, which allowed an extra family growth space, and it made it a bit less tight, and I think that made quite a big difference for me. So yeah, I actually really enjoyed it and I would I would definitely play Agricola again. So I'm really happy in a way that it's gone from a why would I ever play this game again? I never want to, to actually, no, I, I would play this game again. I enjoyed it. Uh, we did draft the cards at the start, um, which I felt was the right thing to do. But yeah, it, it worked really well. And as I say, the video's on the channel if you want to check it out. Next up. On the 14th of uh, January, we are, we're almost getting there. We've only got a few left to talk about. So the 14th of January, I did a solo playthrough. So this was a Saturday. Uh, Vicky was out for the day. So um, I decided that I would do a solo playthrough. And I left it up to my patron supporters of which game I was going to play solo. So if you're a producer level or higher on my patron campaign, you get a chance to vote uh, every so often about what games I'm going to cover. So I put a few solo games up there. And the one that got the most votes was Tillatum from Board and Dice. Um, and that's the one I did. And I never want to do it again. <laughs> so the solo mode for Tillatum. And I, and I spoke about this. If you're interested in my extended thoughts, go and check out the video. But in summary, I have a level of complexity of solo modes, which I'm comfortable with. And anything beyond that... I'm not comfortable with. And when I say not comfortable, it's because I'm not the kind of solo player that wants to spend 90% of my mental energy on working out how the bot works and then not having enough left for me to do my own mode. Now, I have friends and I have patron supporters that absolutely love that kind of solo mode. And that's great. That's great. Those solo modes are there for you, not for me. The solo mode is brilliant. It is very, very well designed. It is very clever. And it simulates another player really well. I just don't want that in my solo games because I cannot handle it. I simply cannot deal with that level of complexity uh, when trying to work out what the bot does. I know some of you are probably watching this video and saying, you know, you're just being stupid. Uh, you know, I, I know people that say the solo mode of Tillatum runs smoothly. And it, it probably does. If you're used to really complex solo modes, then the solo mode probably does run smoothly. But for me, that was way beyond my level of complexity. So, in summary, the solo mode is very, very good. If you like complex solo modes with an AI, with a bot, with a big decision tree, flowchart, whatever of do this, if that, then that, then if it needs this, then work out that, but only if this, but this, that, and the other, great. 
because that's what it does. And it's very, very clever, but it's not for me. I don't want to play solo modes like that because I don't, I don't enjoy them because I can't, I can't play my game. What I want out of a solo mode is I want to be able to play my game and spend my time thinking about my moves, not have to do all of the other stuff. So that's the Teletum solo mode, extremely good solo mode, but not for me. Following on from that, I then played another solo game with another really complicated solo mode, and that was Barrage. Barrage, Barrage, whatever. Um, so we finished the stream of Teletum. That's on the channel now. If you want to see the playthrough of Teletum, it's on the channel. But Vicky wasn't home yet, and I had about an hour and a half before she was getting home, and I was still in the mood for playing some games. So I went on to Board Game Arena, and this was streamed to Patreon supporters. If you're a Patreon supporter of mine, you have access to this stream. Uh, it is me doing a solo playthrough of Barrage, but on Board Game Arena. So the brilliant thing with Board Game Arena, not only is it an online gaming platform with loads and loads of great games on there, but they have coded in the solo mode of Barrage into the system. So all of a sudden, I can now play the Barrage solo mode without having to work out what the AI does because it does all of that for me. Um, and Barrage is a great game. And the implementation on Board Game Arena is fantastic. So kudos to those people who put that together. And Barrage is a game that I would like to be better at. I just, I'm just not very good at it and I think I need to play it more. Um, but yeah, the solo mode is, is, is a great solo mode when you're playing it on Board Game Arena because you just click a button and the AI just does its thing and I can concentrate on my turn and what I'm trying to do. Right, the final game that I played over the last six weeks is Cusco, the number six game in the Steffenfeld City Collection. Um, and what day of the week is it now? I've lost track of time. That was filmed on Tuesday. So Tuesday night, uh, Nick and Gemma came over and we filmed Cusco. If you're a patron supporter of mine, you have access to that video. Um, and again, it will be taken down, it will be edited, and I will be uploading it at some point later on. So Cusco, number six in the Steffenfeld City Collection. This is a re-implementation of Bora Bora. Now Bora Bora, I only ever played once and I didn't like it. But I always stand by what I said, is that I think the day that I learned Bora Bora, I was in the wrong frame of mind, I was really tired, I think I had a bad teach, and I just didn't enjoy the game. And straight away, I just switched off and went, no, no, not interested. Cusco is a re-implementation of Bora Bora with some small tweaks. And I thought it was fantastic. Out of the six games, Hamburg, Amsterdam, New York City, Marrakesh, Vienna, Cusco. Marrakesh is still probably my favorite, but Cusco might, might be my second favorite. I thought it was fantastic. So clearly when I learned Bora Bora, I was obviously in the wrong frame of mind and had this opinion about the game that wasn't good. But no, Cusco I thought was fantastic. So yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and that video will be going live to the public at some point uh, in future. But as I say, if you're a patron supporter, you've got access to that video now if you wanted to see it. Um, yeah, that's everything. Wow. So yeah, I played a lot of games over the last six weeks. But that's not all the games. Okay, let's now talk about the games that I've been playing uh, using app on my iPad and on Board Game Arena. 
So on the app, I've been playing a couple of games of Lahav. I bought the Lahav app when it came out. I've not played Lahav for a very, very long time, but I was in bed the other night last week, couldn't sleep due to insomnia, and I have the Lahav app, and I loaded it up, and I thought, this probably isn't going to work anymore, because unless the uh, the company that created the game keeps the app updated, then every time there's an operating system update, um, something will stop working. So I, I, I loaded it, and it worked fine. So yeah, I've played a couple of games of Lahav using the app, and it worked absolutely fine. Lahav is a great game. I'm obviously on a Nuve Rosenberg kick at the moment, having played Agricola again. Um, but yeah, so yeah, played a couple of games of Lahav using the app. Uh, also played some games of Through the Ages. There's one particular challenge that I'm stuck on. <coughs> so for those people watching this video who've got the Through the Ages app, the challenge that I'm stuck on uh, is the one where the game is longer, there are 30 extra yellow cards included in the game, and the opponent starts with 30 more culture than you. I just can't seem to beat that one. I've tried it a few times. Let me know if you've tried that particular challenge. And if you have, have you beaten it? And if you've got any tips for me, uh, let me know. Also on Board Game Arena. So I play a lot of games with patron supporters on Board Game Arena. We've got a great online gaming community on the Slack channel. And I try to join in a lot of those. And I log the games that I play on Board Game Arena on the date when the game finishes. So, in the last six weeks, here are the games which I have been playing on Board Game Ruiner, which have finished. Uh, a couple of games of Caverna, which were fantastic. Uh, Automobiles. Now, Automobiles, I think, is a brilliant racing game. I think it's by David Short. It's a bag-building game. Uh, cubes and everything else. Really, really good. But we played a three-race season. Now, I didn't even know this was a thing. But what you do is you actually play three races consecutively. And you it's the same cards for each race. And I think you keep your cubes in between seasons, but there are things that you can do. You can get sponsors to clear up some of your cubes in between seasons. Really, really good. And it's on Board Game Arena, and they've implemented not just the base game, but they've implemented this three-race season. So that was fantastic. That was really good. Um, I've been playing a couple of games of Attica on Yukata, uh, which has been really good to go back to Yukata. I played a game of For Sale. Uh, which worked surprisingly well, actually, on Board Game Arena. This was not live. This was played asynchronously. And I thought it would drag on and take ages, but it worked really well. Uh, I've been playing a, a couple of games of Russian Railroads. Um, and I'm in another game right now. So Russian Railroads, fantastic game. Uh, never played any of the expansions. I have German Railroads and I have American Railroads. And I've never played them. I've only ever played the base game of Russian Railroads. But that's really good. And War Chest has just gone live on Board Game Arena. And I played the team mode. And I would not recommend the team mode on Board Game Arena when playing asynchronously, where you've got no way of really communicating with your teammate. So the team mode on War Chest is brilliant. It's a really, really good way to play the game. But you need to be able to speak to your uh, teammate. I've got a really itchy nose. Don't know why. Um, so yeah, War Chest, fantastic implementation on Board Game Arena. But I don't think I would ever play it uh, again. Team mode, asynchronously. I would only play it um, asynchronously if I was playing two players. And that's it. That's all of the games that I've spoke about. So out of all of those, which ones have you got any thoughts on? You know, have you got any... Any thoughts, positive or negative, on any of the games that I've covered? Starship Captains, Agricola, Come Together, Frostpunk, anything. Just let me know. Let me know in the comments what you think. 
Right, moving on to other content that has been on the channel. Well, the first one to talk about is the Frosthaven videos. So the Frosthaven videos, how to play Frosthaven, parts one and part two, is on the channel now. It went live in December. It's been the most difficult, the most challenging, and the most complex video that I've ever done. And I've been making tutorial videos for about 10 years now. Um, it's no surprise that it, it was the most complicated one, but I'd made an agreement with Cephalafair Games that my video was going to go into a lot of detail. And I, th this is what they wanted, and I said, I'm happy to do that. The problem is that video is 90 minutes long. And I know a lot of people will go, oh, how to play Frosthaven, 90 minutes, I'm not watching that, I'll just read the rule book instead. And okay, that's fine. The disadvantage with creating a big long video is that most people won't watch it because it's 90 minutes long, it's too long. Now, for those people that decide to watch it, it is divided into chapters. And you don't have to watch all of the chapters, but I, I cover all of the conditions, I cover all of the skills, I cover all of the, I, I cover almost everything in the game. There's a lot of information in the video. Um, that is what they wanted. Uh, it was a big challenge because I had actually planned for it to take uh, a certain length of time and it actually took twice as long for me to create uh, as planned. It was probably about 140, 150 hours of work. Um, combined with all sorts of other issues going back last year, th those videos caused me, yeah, a lot of stress and a lot of problems to make. And I have to say a big thank you to all of my patron supporters for your support during my time creating those videos, uh, especially Brendan for your very thorough uh, proof watching of the videos. Without Brendan, those videos would end up, they would have loads of errors in. Uh, I ended up working like 18, 20 hours a day near the end just to get them done. And it, it, it was a crazy stressful time. I'm very happy with them. Uh, I think they are very, very good videos. And the, the, the comments that I've had from people are, these videos are exceptionally good and nobody else could have done a video as, as good as this, which is always you know, nice to hear. Um, during the latter process of, of making those videos, I almost quit making videos. It, um, yeah, I, I won't go into too many details, but there, there was a lot of problems for me going on in the last couple of weeks of making those videos to the point where I almost, I almost gave up making future videos. Anyway, um, yeah, so there is a phrase, isn't there, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And you might think, well, you, you got through that, Paul. You did it. You got through it. Surely you've come out of it stronger. No, uh, unfortunately, damage has been done to to, to me uh, in that process of making that, that, that video. So anyway, Frosthaven videos are there. Other videos, and the reason why I didn't get many games played between Christmas and New Year is because I was doing some other videos. So first of all, I did two top 10 videos both of which went on the channel. These weren't live videos. They were recorded, edited, and uploaded. But they're on the channel now. If you want to watch them, they both went up in uh, at the end of December. One of them was the top 10 games of 2022, which were games voted on by my Patreon supporters. And that was a video that I did with a co-host uh, of Devon Norris from Devon Talks Tabletop. Me and Devon got together, and we basically went through what my Patreon supporters have voted on as their top 10 games of the year. But we also added in some of our games that we'd enjoyed as well. So that, that video is on the channel. Go and check it out. Uh, it's really interesting to find what my patron supporters thought were the top 10 games. But as I say, I also add my own thoughts and Devin adds, has, adds his own thoughts as well. 
as to what those games were. The other video that I did at the end of last year was my top 10 games of 2021. Now, if you're a regular viewer of mine, you will know that I do my top 10 video a year after everybody else. So at the end of 2022, everybody else is doing their top 10 games of 2022. I did my top 10 games of 2021. Now, I'm not going to wait a year this year. I'm actually planning to do my top 10 games of 2022 in the summer. I don't see any benefit for me to leaving it till the end of the year. That That's a bit crazy. And in fact, I was going to do it in the summer, but it was around the summer of last year that things started to go wrong for me and it just kept getting postponed. So anyway, my top 10 games of 2021 video is on the channel now. And there's a couple of things I want to mention about this. First of all, if you haven't watched the video, please check it out because you could win a copy of Bitoku or Imperial Steam. I'm doing a good giveaway and the giveaway is open uh, until the end of this month. So until the 31st of January, you can still enter the contest. Just go to the video, leave me a comment and you could win a copy of Bitoku or Imperial Steam. The other thing, and this is a little bit negative, but I do want to talk about this, is my top 10 videos that I do, they don't seem to perform very well. And I'm not sure why, because there's a lot of things about the channel which is going really well. The number of patron supporters is increasing. The general overall support from people are increasing. But my top 10 videos, they don't seem to perform that well. And I don't want to come across as somebody who's complaining about the lack of views. That's not what this is about, but it's more, I don't know, am I doing something wrong? So those videos had a lot of views, right? The the, the top 10 games of 2021 has had eight and a half thousand views. Eight and a half thousand views is a huge amount of views, and that's way more than any of my other videos get. However, there's lots and lots of other content creators who are on a similar level to me in terms of, you know, what they do. And their top 10 videos all seem to be getting 25, 30,000, even 40,000. And mine's getting eight and a half. So I don't know why my top 10 videos don't perform as well. Um, I don't know. It, it's just a bit, a bit of a mystery. Um, it's not for lack of comments because I'm doing the giveaway. That top 10 video has had hundreds and hundreds of comments. Um, but I don't know. I don't know whether it's the not showing up in the algorithm. I'm using exactly the, exactly the same tags as everybody else. The videos are called the top 10 best games of 2022, exactly the same name as everybody else. But for some reason, yeah, I don't know what it is with my top 10 videos. Anyway, um, moving on, the other thing that I did in December and January is a very, very big positive story. Now, when we got to 800 patron supporters, I made a pledge that I would do a video where I rate my entire collection. And I announced this, when did I announce it? November, 2021. So at the end of 2021, after I'd announced that I was retiring from rulebook writing, um, I did a Patreon drive to try and get to 800 patron supporters. There was no real reason for me to try and get to 800 other than I'd effectively just given up a big part of my job and therefore was going to lose out on a lot of income. So I decided that I would refocus and start doing more playthroughs on the channel and therefore I'd like more patron support. So it was a kind of thing that I got in my head that 
Okay, I've given up the rulebook work. I'm going to be losing out on a whole load of money. But if I can get to 800 patron supporters by the end of the year, that's that's a positive thing. So that's what I did. And I set myself that target at the end of 2021. And we achieved it. We did actually reach 800 patron supporters by the end of 2021, which was fantastic. So I said, right, okay, well, I, I promised this. I am now going to do a video where I rate my entire collection. And I must have spent about four or five months thinking about how I was going to do this and when I was going to do it. I did three live streams. I did two of them in December between Christmas and New Year. And then I did the third one at the start of January uh, while I was ill. Um, and I had no idea how long this was going to take. And in fact, it took a total of 12 hours. It was three four-hour videos. Uh, they were live streamed. And it was me using the pub meeple ranking system. I put in my entire collection. I filtered out games that I hadn't played. And then I used it to rate my entire collection. Now, I'd been nervous about doing this video because I'm a very indecisive person. I struggle with making decisions at the best of times. And doing a live stream where I am presented with two games and I have to make a decision about which one I prefer, I was actually dreading it. So although I'd made a pledge and I said, look, this is what I'm going to do. And I wanted to do it. I did want to do it. I thought it would be fun. I was actually not looking forward to it because I was thinking this is going to make me really uncomfortable. And this is going to be done as a live stream. Now, as it turns out, I really, really enjoyed these streams. I had no idea how long it was going to take. And in fact, it took a total of 12 hours. But huge, huge positives. I did that first stream, the first part one of Paul Rates' entire collection. And I didn't really advertise this. This wasn't advertised anywhere. You know, some videos that I do, I post them on five or six different Facebook groups and Discord channels. And I say, look, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. You know, I'm doing this big, hot new game. And I get 30 people watching live. This one, I didn't really advertise anywhere. And we had over 250 people watching live. And I'm like, where have all these people? Who are these people? It was fantastic. So if you are one of those people who joined in and watched any of that show, thank you very much. Because it made it so enjoyable for me to go through it with everybody. What It was just brilliant. It was one of the highlights over the last decade. As far as I'm concerned, that is one of the best things that I've done um, for me because I, I just really, really enjoyed it. Now, the end result was a bit skewy. If you, if you watch the very, very end of the video, I have some concerns with the end list. I don't think it's completely accurate. Um, it's a rough approximation, but there are certain games on that list which are 50, 60 places lower than I think they should be. Anyway, um, I'm going to put a link to Pub Meeple. It's a great website. You can rank your own games. Link is in the description. Just, just go onto it. Um, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. But as I said, the, the response from people who were watching the videos, I've never done a live stream with as much engagement and as much audience uh, as that. And it just made it, made it fantastic. So thank you very much. I'm also going to put an image on screen now. These are apparently, according to my Pub Meeple ranking system, these are my top nine games. Which of these are you surprised about? Let me know. Is is there is there a game pictured here that you think uh, you are surprised to see in my top nine? 
And also, if there is a game missing from my top nine that you think should be in my top nine, let me know. Curious to see what you think. Right, moving on. Let's talk about a Patreon update. So I mentioned that the me rating my entire collection was a goal of reaching 800 Patreon supporters. Um, but let's talk about 900 Patreon supporters because after we'd got to 800 Patreon supporters, um, we said, well, let, let's start coming up with some ideas of what we do when we get to 900. But at the current rate of growth, the growth of the Patreon is, is great. The fact that the Patreon is growing uh, is, is really good. But at the current rate of growth, we were set to reach 900 Patreon supporters by December 2023. Because I normally get about five a month. I get normally about 30 new people a month and I lose about 25. That's the normal ebb and flow of, of Patreon. Um, so yeah, so getting to 900 Patreon supporters, we were on track for probably getting there around the end of this year. However, those live streams that I did where I rated my entire collection, they have had the biggest impact on the Patreon than I could have imagined possible. So it's just gone crazy. It's it's really crazy. And if you're one of those people that has started supporting me in the last five or six weeks, thank you very much. You know, um, it's really good. But I also want to say a big thank you to everybody who's been supporting me. It's not to say that, you know, I'm not one of I'm not like one of those banks that say, oh, for new customers, you can have this interest rate and a shiny pen. Oh, no, you've been with us for 10 years. No, you don't get anything. No, I'm, I'm not doing that. Right. Obviously, a big thank you to all of my new patron supporters. But if you are somebody who is one of my existing patron supporters, a big thank you to you as well for sticking with me. So, yeah, thing, things have gone crazy with the Patreon in the last five or six weeks. I don't I don't know what it is. I'd like to think it was the Frosthaven video. But to be honest, the week after the Frosthaven video came out, the video had 10,000 views. I lost two patron supporters and didn't get any new ones. Then I started doing the live streams where I rated my entire collection. And suddenly the number of patron supporters started going up. So we actually reached 900 patron supporters yesterday. And I've no idea how this happened. Um, I'm, I'm blown away by, by your generosity and your support. So thank you very much. Um, and let's talk about what we've got planned for 900. This is going to happen in the summer. So I'm going to be doing a live show, which is going to be a board game quiz show. I'm going to be one of the contestants. I'm going to get various other content creators and people also on as contestants. Uh, and some of my patron supporters are organizing it. They are choosing, there's going to be a number of rounds, number of questions, et cetera, et cetera. And it's going to be a live game show. So it's going to happen sometime around the summer, probably over my birthday weekend. I think it might be a good weekend to do it. Um, but yeah, that's to celebrate reaching 900 patron supporters. Thank you very much uh, for all of that. Uh, if you are not one of my patron supporters and you've thought about it, then, or let me just tell you what you get as being a patron supporter. First of all, <coughs> uh, obviously what you contribute to is you contribute to me being able to carry on doing what I'm doing. Um, about 50% of the content that I create is not paid for in any way. Uh, like this video, this video, this takes me about eight hours to create because I write it, I then film it, I then edit it and everything else. So this is an entire day's work for me to, to create this video. Uh, a lot of the playthrough videos that I've been doing in the last couple of months, they're not paid for and they take 
hours to learn the game, set up the studio, prepare everything. You know, I'm taking time off paid work in order to create it. That I, I'm fine doing. That. I'm not complaining. That's that's what I do, and I enjoy doing that. Um, but it, it is hard work, and it does take me away from the paid work, and that's what the Patreon campaign funds. But what do you get for being a patron supporter? Well, you get access to the Slack channel. The Slack channel is an amazing community of people. Uh, and if you're a supporter or higher, you get access to that. And if you're a patron supporter of mine and you're not on the Slack channel, I would strongly recommend getting on the Slack channel. Just ping me a message if you want to know how to get there. It's a brilliant community. There's lots of great discussion there about games, about water coolers, um, all sorts of things. We've got channels for... Uh, all sorts of non-game related stuff like gardening, crafting, painting, uh, and home DIY and probably things like that. Um, and there's an online gaming community. So there's so many games being played online asynchronously with other supporters. Uh, and that's there as well. And if you are a producer level or higher, you get a chance to vote in what games are, uh, are coming to the channel as well. So that's what you get. You also get access to behind the scenes videos. So I've mentioned uh, when I was talking about all of those games that I've been playing, a lot of those videos were streamed live and went out to the public, but there's a lot of behind the scenes videos as well. So us playing Letter Jam, Sherlock 13, the videos for Vienna and Cuzco. Uh, yeah, you get access to a lot of extra videos as well. Um, so yeah, big thank you to all of you for supporting me on Patreon. Right, next thing I want to talk about is, and this is a special request from one of my patron supporters, Rasmus West, who said, what games am I looking forward to that are coming out in 2023? Now, I could record this as a separate video, but I don't have time. So I'm just going to quickly run through some games that are coming out this year, which I'm looking forward to. The first one of them is Earth, which I actually have on the table in front of me um, because it arrived this week. And I'm playing it this weekend and I'm doing a how to play video for it in the next few weeks. So Earth, that is definitely a game that I'm looking forward to coming out this year. Voidfall from um, uh, Mind Clash Games. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, although I think it's going to be big, epic and complicated. Um, Distilled is coming out this year. I covered that during its Kickstarter and I thought Distilled was quite good. Uh, Hegemony, I'm going to be getting a copy of that in a few weeks time. Uh, that looks good. Uh, Unconscious Mind, I, I don't know if that's going to be out this year or not, but I'm looking forward to seeing the final version of that. Bot Factory, a lot of people have already got Bot Factory. I don't have my copy yet, um, but Bot Factory from Vita Lacerda, I think that's a really good game. It's not a filler game. It's an hour to an hour and a quarter game, but it's a good game. Septima, also from Mind Clash Games. I've had a chance to play that one and I really enjoyed that. Anunnaki from uh, Cranio Creations. I really enjoyed Anunnaki. And that should be hopefully with me in a few months' time. Uh, Skytear Horde, which I've actually got a copy of. Looks like a little simplish card game, um, but that looks good. Flow War, I missed out getting that at Essen. Earthborn Rangers, I've been really interested in that for a couple of years, and I think that's coming out this year. Frozen Frontier looks really nice from what I saw of it. And the Anno 1800 expansion, I'm hoping is going to be coming out this year. So there's, there's just a few. One of the reasons why I don't do... Uh, a video on here's my most anticipated games of 2023 is that I feel it's a little unfair on all of those publishers who haven't yet announced what their games are going to be for this year. Um, and my worry is that by doing a list of here's the top 10 games I'm looking forward to this year means that people focus on those and don't focus on other ones. I don't know. I, I, I've always had a bit of a Bit of a problem with doing it. But anyway, there's some games that I'm looking forward to that are coming out this year. 
Right, things that are going to be coming up on the channel and some changes. So I've been having to think about this and I'm going to make some changes. These monthly video logs, they are going to move to the end of the month. It's always been a bit unusual that I say, right, this is the monthly video log for January. And then I proceed to talk about all of the games that I've played in the previous month. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to aim to move the video logs to the end of the month. So I'm not going to do another one at the end of this month. This is going to be the January video log, but the next one will be done at the end of February and will contain everything that I've played in February. So yeah, the monthly video logs are going to move to the end of the month rather than the start of the month. Now, the thing that I do at the end of the month is the live Q&A. So the live Q&As are also going to move. Now, the next live Q&A is going to be next week. So they're traditionally the, the last Wednesday of the month and January's is going to be the same. But from February onwards, they're going to be around the middle of the month. I don't know whether it's going to be the second Wednesday or the third Wednesday yet, but the, the Q&As are probably going to be, um, they, they're going to move to around the middle of the month. So that's, that's that. Uh, right, what's coming soon on the channel? Well, on Friday, the 20th of January, I've got two more playthroughs coming. First one is Revive. We're going to be doing Revive again. And we're also going to be doing Oros. Revive is not a sponsored playthrough. Uh, Oros is. So Oros is a new game coming out from Lucky Duck Games. And I believe it's going to be made available very, very soon. So that's why I'm doing the video now. So I'm learning how to play that this afternoon. I'm playing it tonight. Uh, at the local games club. And then there's going to be a live stream of Oros tomorrow night. So that's that's that. Uh, also, I've got the how to play video for Frostpunk, which should be finished next week. So it's pretty much all done. I'm just doing some final editing of it. Uh, the how to play video for Frostpunk should be going live next week. Uh, I've then got a games day on the 27th. Uh, we're going to be covering two games. Neither of these are sponsored. Uh, one of them is going to be uh, continuing my Cult of the Old series. So we're going to be playing an old game and my Patreon supporters are voting right now on which game it's going to be. And at the moment, it's a tie between, let me just have a look. It's a tie between Taj Mahal and Assyria. So yeah, I don't know yet, but voting will close in a few days time. And we're also going to be covering a new game as well. So it's going to be one old, one new. That's happening on the 27th. Also, I've got the how to play video for Earth, which I will be working on over the next few weeks. Um, I've got a live playthrough of Skytear Horde, which is going to be coming at the start of February. And I'm also going to be doing a tutorial and playthrough video for a game called An Age Contrived. I was contacted by them and it looks really like my kind of game. So I'm going to be covering that. Uh, also Dice Manor, I'm going to be covering that in February. And I'm going to be doing a video for Hegemony as well at some point. There's going to be some other videos as well, but that's just some of the games that I'm going to be covering between now and the next video log. Finally, just want to uh, wrap, off, wrap up with a couple of little personal stories before the battery runs out on the camera. First of all, I wanted to say a big thank you to uh, Brett on the Slack channel, one of my Patreon supporters, uh, for running a Christmas quiz. So he ran over the Christmas period, he ran a Christmas quiz, there were various rounds, uh, name the game that these pieces are from. And that was a lot of fun and a lot of people engaged with that. So that, that was great. And the other thing is I wanted to do a little bit of a story about our service book for our car. A few weeks ago, probably about two months ago, actually, we noticed that the service book for our car was not where it should be. Now, the service book is whenever you take your car in for a service, there's a pages at the back where the garage stamps to say, Yes, your car has been serviced. 
Uh, and generally speaking, if you try and sell a car secondhand, it's got to have a full service history to show that it's been well looked after. And the service book was not there. Now, all we can think of is that me, in my absent-mindedness and clumsiness, has misplaced it, lost it, I, I don't know where. We noticed it was missing after I'd been to the tip. And in December, I had a couple of trips to the tip where I was just clearing stuff out. I was fed up with our garage being full of stuff and I was having a real good clear out of stuff that we'd been hoarding. So we put two and two together and thought, well, Paul's been to the tip and somehow, I've no idea how, uh, it, it, it's gone missing. And, and I just felt really bad about it. Really, really bad about it. So we called up the local Citroen garage and they said, yeah, you can buy a new service book. It's about 20 quid. And then the garage who you had all of the services done by, they should, they should just stamp it again so that you've got proof. So it's okay, it's not a problem. I feel bad, you know, but we have a solution. Anyway, we never got around to doing that. I never got around to ordering it because we always thought, well, what happens if it turns up? What happens if it turns up? Anyway, I went to our local garage this week, our local garage in Columpton who does all of our servicing for our car. Um, and I went to them and I said, we'd like to book our car in for a service because it is due its next service, but also we've lost the service book. So if we get another service book, are you okay to stamp it? And he said, oh yeah, that's that's absolutely fine. No, no problem. And he said, what car is it again? I said, Citroen. And he's looking through the office. Uh, and I said, oh, if, if you've got a spare service book, great, because otherwise I'm going to have to buy one from Citroen for 20 quid. You know, if you've got... If you've got a spare one lying around and he found one and it was for Volkswagen, he said, no, not Volkswagen, a Citroen one. And then he got one and he was digging through a filing cabinet and everything else. Anyway, he then got one off a shelf and he went WH65KHZ. And I said, yeah. And he put it down on the table. He had our service book. Now, my mind at this point starts going, you mean we left it here a year ago when we last? No. What had happened? At some point, when we went to Exeter, about six to eight weeks ago, somehow the service book had fallen out of the car. No idea how, but somebody in Exeter found it on a street, opened it, found out the garage's number in the back, phoned the garage, and the garage said, yeah, yeah, we'll take it. And then the woman drove up there on a bike, dropped it off, and the garage has had it for the last month and a half. The garage didn't tell us about it, but weird. Just just really weird story. So now we have our service book back and it's like, okay, yeah, still one of those mysteries, but, you know, it, there's good people in this world. And the moral of the story is, if you find something that looks important in the street and you have a way, there is a phone number in it and you have a way of just ringing somebody, please do it because that act of kindness can make quite a bit of difference to somebody. Um, yeah, definitely something that I would do. Anyway, we're all done. Thank you very much for watching. As I mentioned at the start, this is definitely gonna be a long video log um, because I've got a lot to cover and there's a lot of exciting things to look forward to. And as always, a big thank you to all of you Patreon supporters for making these videos possible. And uh, let's look forward to the quiz show in the summer. But until next time, thanks very much for watching. Take care and I'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.